Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. Wesley Giesbrecht, you're on the Prying Priest podcast. Yay! <laughs> I know you've you've been a long time listener, and you've had so much time to just sit back and enjoy life these past couple weeks. Is that right? Oh yeah, I've been doing nothing, absolutely nothing, but listening to the Prime Priest <laughs> podcast. That's some good alliteration there. I didn't even realize I know, it's that very right difficult. Now. Also, it's very difficult because on microphones they pick up the plosives. Prime uh, Priest. Podcast. I have a good uh, puff guard here, though. So necessary, absolutely it necessary is, in is. this line of work. So I was being facetious earlier. Could could you maybe catch us up a little bit with what you've been doing the past couple of weeks? What I've actually been doing is looking after my as of Sunday. Well, I guess now it's almost the end of the week. She'll be eight weeks this weekend. But yeah, helping help my wife look after our newborn baby girl, our first daughter, little Veronica Giesbrecht, mm-hmm. and trying to find some time to rest and relax in between that. Well, hopefully this can be restful and relaxing for you. Oh, it'll be nothing, nothing but restful and relaxing. Um, I, I, I think your story is very interesting. I do uh, too. You came, you came into my life like a knight in shining armor. No, you came into my life around, I don't know when, like 2013 or so, something like that. Yeah, because I've been going to St. Well, I think I've been, I've been, I was like baptized six years ago. Okay. So yeah, almost 2021 would be seven years. So it was, yeah, sure. about six years ago then where we first met at St. Nicholas. Okay, well, let's let's fill in our listeners on how you know me, and let's do it from your perspective. So you take it away, Wesley. Okay, so how I know Father Yuri. So I believe the first time I met Father Yuri was when he was just plain Yuri, not even reader Yuri. Well, actually, you were only a reader for a whole of like 15 minutes before you got then tonsor to the subdiaconate, but you were just regular old regular old Yuri that I met at St. Nicholas because I'd started going to St. Nicholas as someone who was very determined to become Orthodox, having come from an evangelical Mennonite background. And right, I and Saint, it was at Saint Nicholas is uh, St. Nicholas is the little country parish uh, Orthodox church just north of Winnipeg, Manitoba. In the raging metropolis of Narrow that everyone has heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's where, you know, when me and Nikaila lived in Winnipeg, we went to St. Nicholas was our church. Um, so then all of a sudden this dude shows up in like t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> Death to the world t-shirt and black jeans. So you, you already knew you wanted to be Orthodox the first time you came. Oh, yeah. I did. For me, I was way too kind of freaked out about the idea of going to an Orthodox church before I wanted to become Orthodox because I knew mm. if I go there, maybe I want to become Orthodox. I'm like, whoa, no, man, that's way too much for me. So mm. it was only after I was like, I got to do this. And it's like, I got to find a church. 
Yeah. I, I remember the first time you came, actually. Um, you came and Father Greg, Father Greg had this, he's so Father Greg's the priest at St. Nicholas, still the priest at St. Nicholas, at least at the time of this recording. And he had this rule. I, I don't know if it's actually a rule, but I think he mentioned it to me at some point in casual conversation that when, when a guest comes for the surf, for, for the first service that they're there, you just leave them be like whatever t-shirt they're wearing or whatever posture they're in or whatever they're doing. You just like, you leave them be, you don't say, Oh, that's not the right way to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And why are you told, wearing a cannibal he, corpse t-shirt to the yeah. house of God? <laughs> he, uh, he, he, uh, came up to you, I think, at that point. He said, yeah, like, feel free, like, sit down, right? And you sat down. And you sat down through most of the service that I was there. And I was standing quite close to you. And I had this giant urge to, like, slap you upside the head and be like, stand up. This is the time <laughs> where we stand. And you're sitting there with your legs crossed. Might as well get you a new, newspaper and a cup I've of coffee. This. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the internal struggle happening in me. But then I was like, no, no, this that's, you know you know yuri put that away that's that has no place right here yeah that's right it doesn't i had no Uh, idea what was going on i think i watched like one video of a liturgy but i think that was an anglican liturgy so that doesn't count (laughs) not when it comes to orthodox liturgies beautiful the whole time i was just sitting there and just like okay i guess i'll get used to this i have no idea what's going on but uh eventually i will yeah so you came in, you were already like, I guess I asked you this already, but you're just, I'm, this is like already my new home. Yeah. See, for me, because so it was largely the, the, the theological questions and issues that were bringing me to orthodoxy. So everything okay. else then was like of a secondary nature. It's like, I fully accept the theology of the Orthodox Church. I accept, you know, the ecclesiological claims of it, you know, the sacraments, all this stuff. So... When it comes to actually like adjusting to the life in the church, all of that's just like, well, mm-hmm. I don't understand it now, but I'll understand it eventually. So I was telling somebody, uh, I was telling one of my coworkers today, I was because co- I'm coming home to record with. I told her I'm I'm coming home and I'm going to record with a friend from uh, Manitoba. She goes, oh, like for for the podcast? And I go, yeah, for the podcast. He's from Winkler, Manitoba, and she's like. What is Winkler, Manitoba? Yeah, um, no one outside so, of Manitoba is going to know what Winkler, Manitoba is. So, can you Except give for all a the quick, Mexican Mennonites down in Mexico? I know that a lot of people don't know about that. But, anyways, that's a t- hot topic for another podcast. Can you give a quick rundown of first of all, like Winkler and the the religious context of Winkler, and then so that's step one and step two, and step yep. three would be how you grew up or fit into that religious context yeah for sure so winkler see i guess like all provinces are built up according to their different administrative centers and stuff so winkler is like very very close to the north dakota border kind of south central manitoba i think it's about a 20 30 minute drive you're at the north dakota border very close to Valhalla, which is the coolest thing ever. I can literally go on a trip to Valhalla. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's about an hour, hour and a half south of Winnipeg. And it's the biggest, it's a city technically, but, you know, according to like European standards, we're a village, but 
whatever. That's Europe. We're Canada. We're a city. So we have a 7-Eleven. That's all that matters. <laughs> so we're the biggest sort of city you know, populated area within, you know, the Pembina Valley, which is mostly, mostly populated by Mennonites. So originally sort of the community of Winkler was mostly like back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, like Mennonites who had come from the Russian empire, as well as like some German Lutherans and some Jews and that was kind of like the main demographic for probably up until like the last 20, 30 years. Now it's a little bit more ethnically diverse. You're starting to notice a lot more, you know, people coming from not just merely like Caucasian Europeans, but a lot more people from Africa, from the Middle East, from India. So it's starting to look more like a typical Canadian city. It's with its multicultural makeup, but still predominantly it's a Mennonite community. And the Mennonites are, you know, an interesting branch of, you know, Protestant reformation. They were known as like the radical reformers who rejected infant baptism. They rejected sort of any sort of involvement with the state. They were historically pacifists. And that pretty much made them unlikable to everyone. So everyone, you know, during the Protestant Reformation, everyone had their disagreements. But like even people like Luther and, you know, the Roman Catholic Church could both agree that the Anabaptists suck. Yeah. That's in the, one of the confessions. Uh, in, in one of the confessions. So so the um, the, the Lutheran Church, which they, they were called, they were being called the Evangelical Church yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time got together with the Catholic Church to see where they could agree. And on in one of the statements, it said, at least we can agree that like the Anabaptists are, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. I think Luther actually said something along the lines like, I'd rather drink pure blood with the Catholics than a mere symbol with the radicals, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Luther was known for such uh, such quips. So obviously the you know the the Mennonite sort of the Anabaptist movement because before it became Mennonite it was first Anabaptist you know the people who rejected infant baptism and they rebaptized themselves hence the name Anabaptist rebaptizer they were kind of located in Holland but because of the larger you know Protestant Catholic persecution of the Anabaptists they made their way into like German territories and then there was a particular Dutch priest by the name of Menno Simons. He had been a Catholic priest, became an Anabaptist, and he started his own sort of strand of Anabaptist church, which then became known as the Mennonites. And then they lived within German lands of Prussia. Then in the 17, I think late 1700s, early 1900s was when Catherine the Great was Empress of Russia. And she had just barely kind of conquered the Crimean Khanate as well as gotten a lot of lands which are now Ukrainian lands but then obviously at the time it was called like Little Russia and she invited the Mennonites to come and colonize the area because Mennonites were historically agriculturalists they were good with the land plus you know she kind of favored Germans because she was kind of a German herself so then we we went out there so some of my ancestors actually lived in on the Hortizia Island, which was like 
big deal in Ukraine because that's the location of the Zaporizhian Cossack sitch. Right, so right. Like you've been doing, you've been doing some digging into your uh, ancestry. Oh yeah, recently, haven't you? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I like to know my stuff. Yeah. So pretty much, like literally, like the Cossacks are on the Hortizia Island, and the Russians come in, burn down the sitch, and deport the Cossacks to the Kuban. In the, uh, the, the, define some of those terms. Like a sitch is a um, see, like a, a, an, an encampment, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the encampment where, like, on the island, they'd have you, know, you, know, yeah, like encampments. Yeah, they have their their houses where the Cossacks would stay. Only the men, though, the women weren't allowed to come there. So like a bunch of Cossack men essentially just living there when they're not fighting Turks, because most of the time, frankly, if you look at the history of Cossacks, they're fighting Turks. You look at Cossack yeah. songs, it's all about fighting Turks, which, hey, you know, there were a lot of Turks around. And yeah, you got to fight somebody. Fight Someone <laughs> had to fight them. So when they weren't doing that, they're pretty much just drinking having a good time on the island there was a church there but uh they were particularly rowdy and when it came to the russians conquering different lands they weren't particularly fond of rowdy people because rowdy people rebel so they burned down the encampment and deported the cossacks to an area now close to like the caucasus mountain range in southern russia between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. But now you have this unpopulated land because the Cossacks are gone and enter the Mennonites. That's where mm-hmm. we came in. And then we were in the Russian Empire up until the Russian Revolution. Some left prior to the Russian Revolution because there was a rumor that conscription was going to happen because one of the deals for the Mennonites to come to to the Russian Empire was that they wouldn't have to be conscripted because they were pacifists. And when this rumor came out, lots of men were like, all right, we're out of here. So mm-hmm. lots of them then went to Canada or United States. But mm-hmm. most of my family came over and most of the Mennonites in this area came over like around the time of the Russian Revolution. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then some went down to Mexico, yeah. lived in Mexico, came back to Canada, went to the States. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like so, the, the makeup. So we, right. So Winkler would have Winkler would have been a space where Mennonites could have just been Mennonites yeah. in peace. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And is that where you come in the picture? Pretty much. It's like, cause I've always kind of lived around the Winkler area. Cause obviously, you know, there's always the villages and towns around the larger metropolitan area. If I'm allowed to call Winkler a metropolitan area. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed. Uh, who's going to stop me? The internet police. <laughs> so, yeah, because I grew up around around Winkler. It was only when I was 18 that I actually moved into Winkler. But yeah, I've lived in this area the whole time. And I grew, grew up here. And so obviously that meant, means like from 90% of the people here, we all grew up within the Mennonite church, which as I you know mentioned earlier, has its own kind of specific peculiarities about it. For the most part, when it comes to sort of like historical Protestantism with the five solas of, you know, scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. Oh, I've been out of that world a long time. I forget the last one. Something about the glory of God or something. Oh yeah, sola deo gloria. Yeah, glory of God alone. So that they would kind of have in commonality with all the other sort of Protestant denominations. The thing that really kind of made them stood out was the rejection of infant baptism and like pacifism and the fact that they would just kind of live on their own colonies. And in a way, it was almost like 
pe- what people think of like Amish, where like Amish have their colonies and live. Like Mennonites used to be more like that, but nowadays n- most of us have largely been sort of urbanized and you know, whatever the larger culture is of the country we live in, because there's still Mennonites in Russia, there's Mennonites in mm-hmm. Mexico and South America and Germany. Like they all just kind of adopt the larger culture of the country they live in. There are still some old school ones who will still wear like tr- traditional Mennonite clothing. Like the women wear the traditional dresses and their head scarves and the men wear nothing but like pants with, well, they wear shirts too. Yeah, with uh, the nothing suspenders. but pants. <laughs> nothing but pants with the suspenders. Those are the progressive ones. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, it says no so, shirt, no um, shoes, no service, not no pants. So, <laughs> so were you? What were some of your first memories of faith? Well, I remember, like, yeah, growing up in a home where I wouldn't say we were like super religious, but I wouldn't say we were nominal. Besides, nominal is such a hard word to define because nominal can mean so many different things to so many different people. But for the most part, like most Sundays throughout the year, we would go to church. You know, obviously, like we're going camping or something or there's a, you know, family gathering or something. You know, we could skip church then. But for the most part, we would go regularly and we'd always pray before we eat and before we go to sleep, then my mom would come to, you know, me and my brother's room and, you know, we'd say our little bedtime prayer. And do you remember the bedtime prayer? Oh, of course. It's like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, guard me safe through the night and wake me with the morning light. Only slightly different than Metallica's version. What, what? Metallica did a version of that? Yeah. Don't you know the song Enter Sandman? Oh yeah, I know it's the like, song. I don't know I well enough. Down to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Pray the Lord. You know, your listeners can listen to Enter Sandman if they want to hear the whole song. Uh, just to clarify, Metallica is not a sponsor. I don't get paid from any sponsors here. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Are we going to get sued by Metallica? Because they've done that. You know, um, even I, mentioning I, Metallica without uh, having any did, sort of like copyright. This podcast is a big enough Metallica? audience. I'm gonna have to bleep out this entire section. Bleep out, bleep out every time I say Metallica. That <laughs> way you're safe. This actually, if they do sue me, that's probably gonna be good press for me. It so I would be. I would really like that. And then I'll ask them to be on the podcast. Then you can interview them about so why did you sue me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're you're a Mennonite kid growing up in a Mennonite world. And was it how like okay so you're growing up you're becoming you know a teenager are you were you interested in matters of faith see in one i have to sort of clarify like growing up within a mennonite community because like all sort of like denominations it's vastly different of it's more like a larger umbrella term so looking back now with a little bit more understanding of what historically a Mennonite was and what their beliefs and practices and services were like, I would say I just grew up as an evangelical. Mm. We just understood ourselves as Mennonites because, you know, we're ethnically Mennonite and all our churches say blank, blank Mennonite church. So we're Mm. like, oh yeah, we're Mennonites. But now having... What what distinguishes, you know, an evangelical church versus a Mennonite church? So like still old school Mennonite churches, like the men will sit on one side, women will sit on the other side. All the services will be in high German because, you know, the Bible was written in high German. Mm-hmm. 
whereas like the common language is a low German. So you don't speak, you don't do the services in low German because, you know, that's village talk. You know, you need to have, you know, a high sacred language. So it'd be like church Slavonic versus, you know, the modern Slavic right. languages. Yeah. So La- that was Latin something versus the vernacular. Yeah. yeah. So that was actually something that was quite familiar to me coming to orthodoxy. It's like, oh yeah, that's like when I was a kid between high German and low German. Neat. Mm-hmm. And then at most you might have like, when it comes to like actually singing, yeah, it'll be like high German hymns and like you might have a, you know, you have a piano, maybe a guitar. You know, you're starting to get in a, a, little, in a Mennonite church. You would yeah, have a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, by like oh, by your. that's only that's a little little bit more progressive. Yeah. But uh, that's kind of like the in-between phase. There's like, you know, the old school kind of Mennonites and there's like. The ones who keep cut some of the traditions, but they're okay with, you know, some of the new music and stuff. And it's not completely, uh, there's a low, ter- low German phrase, Devil Satan. You can probably guess what that means. Devil, what, like de- devil, de- demon? Satan, possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, then there's just, you know, like the evangelical Mennonites where like you walk into their church and you walk into like, you know, the vine- a vineyard church or any sort of like evangelical charismatic church and it's going to be like it's going to look exactly the same the only difference is all our last names are like fair and Friesen and gertsen or whatever right right yeah i that's such an interesting question how evangelicalism came in so much to infiltrate certain traditional forms of protestant christianity um, we we're going to talk about that. That that's a topic for the Patreon podcast. But there you go. Um, I know a little that bit about want. that with my own family. Actually, from my grandmother's funeral, there was uh, the guy who was giving the service. He was talking about like when you know they came to give the gospel to my grandparents. But yeah, we'll talk about we'll that save later. That. So become a patron if you want that. But um, so yeah, becoming so, a teenager, okay. issues of faith. Right, right. So. Mm-hmm. Then having grown up with largely an evangelical or what I would brand an evangelical understanding of faith, it's simply like, okay, at a young age, I was told if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior into my heart, I'm saved. Now, I did that a million times as a kid because, you know, I wasn't always sure, like, did I actually mean it? You want to hedge your bets. Yeah. It's like, okay, because there's kind of like this emphasis, like, if you really mean it, if you really, like, the audience can't see, but I'm shaking my finger, you know, you Mm -hmm. really mean it, you know, then you're saved. So, but like, the older I got, the less concerned I became because, you know, growing up, like, I would understand ourselves as Christians, you know, we're Mennonite, you know, Mennonites were Christians, Mm -hmm. but... Because it was sort of like, okay, well, I accepted Jesus as my savior. And, you know, outside of Sundays, it's, you know, not as as if issues at home were particularly religious. You know, we just watch TV, play video games, whatever. There's no, mm-hmm. not a huge sort of push or emphasis on, I'd say, like an active faith or anything. And because, you know, we all understood that we accepted Jesus, so we're going to heaven when we die, you know, that's it. So the older I got, the less sort of relevant that came became to me because it was simply a matter of like, well, I'm going to heaven when I die, so I can just do whatever I want. So mm-hmm. largely by the time I was in high school, like our church had a youth group and my mom made made us go. That was sort of like one of the deals, like we have to go to youth. Mm-hmm. So I went to that, but other than that, like I would call myself a Christian and people, you know, would, would ask, you know, like, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But did you answer that way because you didn't really 
care or think about it at all? Or did you answer that way because you felt you had to, even though you didn't feel that way? I'd say there's like a degree of both. One is sort of just like the, you know, acculturation of like having been brought up this way. This is the only thing I know. So not having thought about anything else too much, you know, kind of having like some basic, simple, like, okay, well, you know, I believe God exists because, you know, it makes sense. Makes sense to me. What sort of practical influence that has in my life? Well, that I don't know that I probably never thought about, but for me, it was just like, yeah, I believe in God. Someone asked me like, well, yeah, because I was, you know, everyone I knew was Christian, you know, living in a, you know, Christian Mennonite community. It's like, if anyone doesn't, you're like, that person doesn't believe in God. What? That exists. It's like, it's like unfathomable because it's such kind of like a small Christian community, not like people who grow up in bigger cities and you have people of all walks of life. And that's very common to you. For me, that would not be common whatsoever. Yeah. But so when did you first, when did you first encounter somebody who was not from that walk of life? That's a good question. Probably like probably when I was in high school, but mm -hmm. Because then it was like, okay, now we're coming out of the villages and we're coming to the big city of Winkler, going to the high school. And so, you know, now all the other, now all the people from all the other villages are going to the high school. So obviously, like there was, you know, some people from like Indian background. So there, you know, some people coming either, you know, from uh, Muslim, Muslim faith or people coming from, you know, the Hindu faith or the Sikh faith. Still, I wouldn't have understood the difference between any of them. And I would still debate that most people in this area wouldn't know the difference between any of those either. But, you know, that's that's for a different time. But yeah, yeah. it was mostly like real actual encounters, just other people who, you know, grew up as like Mennonites, but just came to reject that. Like, oh, I'm an atheist. But it's just like the silly kind of high school atheist where it's like, eh, I don't like rules. So I'm not going to I don't like my parents and I want to rebel. And I'm I listen to metal. And these guys say that, you know, there's no God. So they're probably right. I can trust metal artists. Yeah. Metal musicians tend to be the highest philosophy in the land. So, oh, yeah. Even higher than Hollywood stars. Mm hmm. And they're pretty high. They're, they're like you can't even touch them. So when did you start? Because you're interested in theological subjects. So when did you start getting interested in that stuff? Probably when I was 20. Okay, yeah, so you're af after high school then. After high school, yeah. Because during high school, my main concern in life was to get really good at guitar so I could become a world-famous metal musician. That was okay. – I was dead set. That's what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Anyone would have told me anything else? They're like, not happening. Okay, so what's on the what's on the to do list to become a uh, world famous metal musician in high school? Shred, just shred <laughs> as hard and as fast as you can, so okay. that everyone is like, "Whoa, that guy can play guitar." Mm -hmm. In in my mind now, I obviously know it's a lot more complicated than that. But my my 15, 16 year old mind, all I have to do is get good enough at playing guitar at, you know, writing songs, getting other people to play the music I write, be able to get some shows, get uh, known well enough. So if I can start playing shows in Winnipeg and then Ooh. maybe after you start playing shows in Winnipeg, then, you know, you can do a Canadian tour and maybe get a, you know, you can record something, send it to a record label. They can sign you and then, you know, yeah. world tour. Well, how, how far did you get? I never got... 
or did I play a show in Winnipeg? I don't, I think, no, I don't think I ever played a show in Winnipeg. I played a few show, shows in Winkler, played a show in Morden, played a show in, played two shows in Steinbeck. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think uh, that was about it. So pl- played a few shows. I recorded a few times, never a whole, never like an EP or a demo or anything, but just like a few songs here and there. And that was about as far as I got. So what what else went along with your, like what, what else lifestyle wise went along with your metal pursuits? Drugs. Oh yeah. One word, drugs. Not like what kinds of drugs. Mostly in all reality, like nowadays people would, I probably have just mostly been considered like a stoner, just mostly like smoking pot, like every now and then like dabbling with some harder stuff. But I knew too many people that like regularly did the harder stuff. And I saw yeah. kind of how that like deteriorated their lives and their personality. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm not getting into that. I'll try it a little bit, maybe have a little bit of fun. But I know what happens if you get too into this stuff. So, right. so yeah, I tried like cocaine, ecstasy, f- few things, but never meth. I saw people who did meth, and it's like, nope, that is. Right. You know, I still, even though I would, I would not say I was a moral person, but I still understood like there are certain things you shouldn't do just because that's going to completely destroy your right. life. So my question, so so marijuana was probably your drug of every choice. day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. So what? what were your feelings towards marijuana then what were your feelings towards marijuana sort of when you were starting to stop smoking every day and what were your, what are your feelings towards marijuana now i guess if that makes any sense so back then and, and per, like as it relates to you personally yeah, not yeah, like me personally not not in society in general yeah but yeah yeah personally. yeah no i got you i got you so for myself it was simply like hey this makes me feel good and it doesn't make me like throw up because prior to that, most of my friends like to drink. But when I was a teenager, I really couldn't handle alcohol. Like I would drink like half a beer and then I would, when no one's looking, just go to the bathroom and pour the rest of it down the drain because it made my stomach feel gross. But then it's like, okay, try marijuana. It's like, Whoa, here's something that kind of gets me that buzz makes me feel good. But you know, I don't, feel terrible like i do when i'm drinking alcohol so first it just kind of became it was first mostly a thing where it's like okay this is you know it's fun to do i feel good me and my friends are having laughs you know i'm hungry i'm eating it's like this is this is a good time so it's it's something to relax something to you know hang out with your friends and do you know watch hours upon hours of like whatever is on tv or you know just play video games but then over time as i was starting to sort of be a little bit more self-aware of what direction I was going in my life. And really that I was an unhappy person. And I began to realize that marijuana was more than just, you know, having a good time. It was more, it became more of something that sort of suppressed all the negative feelings I had, all the disappointments or misunderstandings of life, everything I was kind of holding on to, stuff I couldn't let go of, stuff I couldn't forget, and would just continue to brood over it and brood over it. But when that, you know, that would become unbearable if I was sober all the time. So it was more a form of like inoculating myself to every, all the garbage inside of me that I didn't want to deal with. 
And I began began to realize that. And how now, how long how long were was that process that you were kind of smoking every day and everything? So like I probably I probably first tried it when I was sixteen, and when I was like it was kind of casual until I was 18. Cause when I was 18 that I moved out of my parents' place and had my own place so I can do whatever I want. So probably then from like 18 to 20 was, if not on an every single day basis, it was on like an almost every single day basis. Mm-hmm. Largely if, you know, I had money to buy it. Cause obviously if back then I was just like working at part-time at a co-op, so I'm not making bank. And plus, you know, I have to buy cigarettes and have to have enough money so I can go to Winnipeg so that I can go to the CD store and buy CDs and band T-shirts. So, you know, I had a very tight, uh, tight budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then then you had the whole process of coming out of that. What was that like? So I started to get out of that because there was one time I went to a family gathering and I was just like completely high out of my mind because i hated going to family gatherings back then because i had nothing to relate to any of anyone in my family about i mostly went there because my mom asked me to and there's free food and she pretty much said just just come come for the meal you can leave afterwards i'd be like fine so i go there i'm super high but then i have two nieces and both of them were very young at that age maybe like two three years old and I remember I was just sitting there completely high out of my mind. And they're like, they came over to me and they're just so happy to see me and they wanted to play. And something just struck me at that moment where I was like, I'm a terrible example for these girls. Like I'm, I'm not a good person. And yet here they are. And like, they love me. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's something in, in that moment of just like that unconditional love from my nieces where like, because they don't, they don't know all that stuff going on. They just see their uncle Wes and i started to think like i need to be better you know even just for like these two little girls like i want to be i want to be someone better like someone that like when they actually know who i am it's you know they can actually like be proud of me or actually like be happy about who i am and not be like oh we had no idea that this is what he was actually like you know we were so young and naive so that's where it got me to the point where it's like okay i need to you know just I'm going to start with just stop getting high, stop doing drugs and, you know, see where that takes me. And then how, that, how did, um, how, how did faith fit into this whole story? So that happened right after this. So right before I got to this point where I realized like I needed to quit smoking weed, I was I was realizing there was a lot of things that I wanted in life and they weren't working out the way I wanted it to. So for instance, like, okay, I had a band. We were, we played, we had played one show. We tried doing some recording, but the problem was I was working, I was working at a factory where we build grain bins and from the work there, it was starting to like give me carpal tunnel and like my hands started to like have extreme pain when I was playing guitar. And it's like, this is my life. Why isn't this working out for me? 
At the same time, then I was in somewhat of a relationship with a young lady from Winnipeg. But like anytime I'd come out, I was like at a bar, at a concert, I'd invite her to come like, hey, you want to hang out? She'd always have some sort of excuse. And it's like, why isn't this working out for me? I can remember one time very clearly being at work. And it's like, I just wish there was someone who was always there for me. And then suddenly there's this thought in my head, like, well, isn't that what God's supposed to be? And I was like, whoa, that's too deep for me. I'm not that deep. And then it was kind of in my mind and I was almost thinking to myself, you know what? I remember going to church when I was younger. Those people seemed a lot happier than I am. You know, maybe, maybe I can give this whole thing a try because I can honestly say I've never given it an honest try because if it doesn't work, I can just say the whole thing's BS and move on with my life. But you know, mm -hmm. if it's real, if it's true and like this can actually change my life, then you know, I'll give it a shot. So but, were you were were you like baptized by this point already? Oh yeah, it's like well, in sort of the the local sort of tradition, I would say in this area of like the Winkler, Southern Manitoba, people growing up as Mennonites, because obviously you know you don't baptize your babies, but by the time you get to like a teenager, you know, everyone's parents have you go to your youth group and then the youth pastor you know eventually starts asking the question, so are you gonna get baptized? So you're gonna get baptized? And I can remember then finally our youth pastor was like talking to me about that. And I was like, oh, I guess so. That's one of those things you do. And I remember the clencher for me was my mom said she would buy me tickets to the Dream Theater concert, which you happened to also be at. Yeah. We didn't know each other at that point. So that was, was my ninth, ninth row. Ninth row with Justin Coop pounding my fist in the air. With Big Elf and Zappa plays Zappa. And uh, Scale the Summit. Oh, that's right. Scale the Summit. Yeah, because yeah, they were first. It was Scale mm -hmm. the Summit, Big Al, Zappa Play Zappa, and then Dream yeah. Theater. Yeah. Yeah, Zappa Play like, Zappa is, uh, is, is Frank Zappa's son, Dweezil Zappa. Yeah, that was and pretty a band sweet. playing all of Frank Zappa's music. They were pretty sweet, though. Obviously, Dream Theater was the best. And that was mm -hmm. still when they had Mike Portnoy. Yeah. So I was real happy about that. So that was my that was my reward so for being you baptized, got baptized in the church. You got baptized to go see a Dream Theater concert. Yeah, That's that sounds pretty terrible, almost, but it's true. Almost a good enough reason. Almost, almost. a good enough reason. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, if someone would have asked me, it's like, yeah, you know, of course, you know, I, be I believe in Jesus. You know, I believe, you know, the central sort of evangelical tenets of the gospel of, you know, what it means. You know, I believe he died for my sins. And if he didn't die for my sins, I'd go to hell. And, mm -hmm. you know, because of that, you know, I can accept him to my heart and go to heaven and you know, I accepted all these things. And as far as I understood within sort of like the evangelical Mennonite mentality and how baptism is portrayed, when you understand these things, then you are supposed to be baptized as a public declaration of your faith. Though on hindsight, I don't understand how actually publicly de declaring your faith is insufficient for that. And somehow baptism publicly declares your faith. But, you know, that's that's a different issue of, you know, the interesting yeah. dynamics of Mennonite if you, uh, if you, uh, theology. If you, if you verbally say and declare your faith, that doesn't mean anything. It's, you got to get dunked in the water to show it. Though it's not, it, to me, it sounds far more practical. If, if you're going to reduce baptism to merely a public declaration of your faith, that sounds far more complicated than simply just like, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior and I accept it to my life. To me, that seems like a public declaration of my faith. But, you know, we can, I can argue Mennonite baptismal theology all night and I've done enough now. We'll, we'll save that for the Patreon. Episode. For the patrons. <laughs> um, so you are working at 
a factory, you're having this moment. Would you call that a conversion moment? That point wasn't quite the conversion moment, but it was. There's a lot of sort of preparatory moments, I would say, where, like an instance where you know I was at work and I have this thought about you know someone to always be there for me, you know, the moment with my niece was like, you know, I got to sort of straighten things out, realizing that all these things that I want in life, nothing seems to be working. Why is everything falling apart? It was all then all of this was turning me a little bit more introspective and sort of looking at my life and what I was doing and wondering if maybe, maybe God was the answer. So I would say this is more, it's more like in the confessions of St. Augustine where he's having He's having all these moments of like kind of going towards God, but it's not until he reads from Romans about not uh, making any provision for the flesh. Then suddenly he has like this sort of like the veil dropping moment. So I'd say it's it's kind of like, though I don't want to compare myself to a saint because I'm not a saint, but in in terms of like it was a progressive thing. Because my actual, what I would call my conversion moment, happened in the middle of a bar at a death metal concert in Winnipeg. Mm. Okay, well, you have to... Uh, well, okay, before we get that story, because we're approaching the end of the public episode. Okay. So, before we get to the... So, this will be the last thing we talk about in okay. the, the public episode. But uh, there are a couple of things that I'm going to ask you in the Patreon episode. So, I just want to tease that before we get in. Um one of them is um, we're going to continue to talk about your journey into the Orthodox Church. So we're going to talk about how you actually became Orthodox mm-hmm. um, and and the process of actually leaving your old church. That was which a good I think one. Is, uh, I went out with interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that that'll be for the patrons um, uh, joining the Orthodox Church. And then I we're came in talk- with a bang, literally. <laughs> yeah, that's on the baptismal font. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You smacked your head. Um, uh, we're going to talk about also, uh, you, I, you've been Orthodox for about six, I think you said six years now. Six or so. years. Yep. So we're going to talk about uh, the honeymoon phase is over. Long so time. we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, the, I guess in, for lack of a better way of putting it, the pros and cons of being Orthodox. Um, and then, uh, I also, I really want to hear the story again, cause I've only heard you tell it to me once and I really want to share it with the patrons, which is the time that the, the time that you smoked a dragonfly. Yes. I smoked that, a that's dragonfly. That's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say for now. Become a patron and you'll hear that riveting tale. It'll be worth every penny you give Father Yuri for this one. <laughs> so they don't you make are pennies at a bar. anymore. What's going on? Well, digitally, you can give pennies. Digital digitally. pennies. Bitcoin yeah. pennies. So you are at a bar and you have a conversion experience. Yep. Take it away, Wesley. Take it away. Okay. So this is tied into the story of me like deciding to like stop doing drugs because it's all part of like a 24-hour sequence. So it was – I decided to quit doing drugs when I was at the family gathering, but I didn't do that right away because, you know, I still, you know, I'm hanging out with my friends. Everyone does drugs. Like, can I really get out of this? What am I going to do? But I get to a point where it's like, okay, no, I'm going to do this. It was a Friday. So I was done work for the week. And the next day we were going to go to Winnipeg, go to, go to a joint called the zoo down Osborne street where 
I don't know if that place is still open. It's. I don't it's know been, if it is either. It's been open and closed so many times over the years, not for, not for no reason. But at that point, it was open, and like fairly often throughout the year, they'd have metal shows there. And like one of our friends' bands was playing there, so we were gonna go check him out. So Friday's like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna stop, stop doing drugs. And then I did not sleep at all because. I was quite conditioned to getting high, passing out. So now that I wasn't getting high, my body's like, what are you doing? Well, why are you not uh, knocking me out? So I was like up all night. And then like the next day, some of my friends are coming over and, you know, we're playing some video games. And all of a sudden, I started thinking like, man, these video games are like super violent. So it's really like super good to like, to be doing something like this. I'm like, why am I thinking this? This is weird. And the day goes on. We begin going to Winnipeg. And obviously, being the metalheads that we were, going to Winnipeg the whole time, you're just listening to CDs. We're listening to, pardon me, listening to, to one album, like, oh, the song, like, hey, 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 hey. And it's like, man, no wonder I'm so angry. All I listen to is angry people. And I was like, why am I thinking this? I've never thought any of this stuff in my life. And, you know, we get into Winnipeg and, you know, some of my friends were talking, we're making jokes. Also, I'm like, man, we're saying like really racist and sexist things. That's not good. I was like, what is going on in my head? Like, it was like this, this almost like inner schizophrenia to a degree where on one hand, there's like everything that I've known for the last few years of my life. And then there's all like these sort of like antagonizing thoughts to that. I have no idea where that's coming from. And then, you know, we go to a friend's place. We're about to go to the concert. And of course, everyone there is just doing drugs. And it's like, I'm not. And I'm like, I feel so out of place here. Like, is this, is this, and I'm looking at everyone else. I'm like, man, all they're talking about is drugs. Talking about that time they did drugs. Like, hey, man, remember that time we did ecstasy and we're here? It's like, oh, yeah, man. And it's like, there's literally nothing else to life than drugs. I'm like, man. This is so, I, I don't feel like I belong here anymore. And I was like, okay, now we're going to go to go to the concert. And we went to the concert and there's a guy there wearing a t-shirt. I can't remember which band it was, but on the back it says, who needs God when you have Satan? And I've actually seen, seen this guy a number of times because when you go to the local metal scene, you kind of recognize people. And I'd seen this guy wear the shirt before and a million times it never bothered me. But then this time, for some reason, like it bothered me deeply. It's like, no, no, that's that's wrong. And then there I was standing in the middle of the bar, surrounded by dudes wearing shirts like that with, you know, death metal band playing. And I'm probably standing there drinking a beer as well. And I was like, God is real. And that means something. And I remember that I like took some of my friends aside, like, guys, I got to talk to you about something. And we went to the car, you know, we were smoking. And I was like, guys. I I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go to church tomorrow because it was Saturday evening, and you know I think I'm gonna put all this stuff behind me. And I'm telling you this now so you can't tell me that you know oh you're just doing this because the pastor told you. I'm like no, like I think like God is real, and like I I have to I have to do something about this. So then the next day I went back to the midnight church you know I grew up in and had a conversation with that old youth pastor who baptized me and let effectively gave me the keys to see dream theater and 
from there, I kind of had that, you know, spiritual awakening, conversion moment, and, you know, my road to Damascus, and went back from the Mennonite church, and then it was from there that I made my way to orthodoxy. If you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview, you can head over to patreon.com slash priest. Your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?